Welcome to the Craft of Memory. I'm your host, Ronald Johnson. On this show, we seek to recover this beautiful art. For memory without conscious design is like an uncatalogued library. We believe this is a skill that anyone could learn. And the question is, will you seek to hone this craft? You are now listening to episode 23. If you value the content of this podcast and would like to show your support and express your appreciation, one of the best ways to do that is by leaving a review and or rating. It could just be one sentence and this will make a huge difference. Now on to the show. Joe Reddington is the author of Advanced Memory Palaces and former computer scientist. He has thought deeply on the parallels between computer science and mnemonics, and in particular, the various data structures. I believe he has made a significant contribution to the field of mnemonics. So without further ado, let us get into the episode and hope you all enjoy. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into the art of memory? So my name's Joe. I'm 40 years old. And when I was in my late 20s, I really wanted to sound smart. I thought it was really important to know exact dates and precise quotes. It was sickeningly important to me to be thought smart. Uh, and I read a book by Darren Brown uh, called Trick of the Mind. And it has a large section on memory and some part of me thought, yeah, this will make me sound really, really smart. And I do have to tell you, 20 years later, I don't think this worked. I don't think it ever, in fact, successfully made me sound so. Now I will admit there is some level of fascination I had with the process. Uh, some genuinely uh, intellectual curiosity and joy. Uh, but the bottom line is I did it in order to pretend to be smart. That's why I got into memory techniques. Um, the, uh, it is mortifying, and the problem with that is it is also true. You are also a, a former computer scientist, and as we will see throughout uh, this interview, your your work experience plays a huge role in your, your understanding of mnemonics. So could you please share with us your background in this field? How did you become interested in computer science? And what were some of your research interests? This is fun. Compside was the thing I was good at. Not necessarily loved, but I was good at it. And as I mentioned, it was super important to me to feel smart. And so I picked it at university. Um, I, should, I should say for the benefit of an international audience, um, in the UK university system, you don't get to customize your degree anything like as much as I understand you do anything. Um, it was a three-year process, and when I did my degree, I generally did eight units a year, chosen from a set of 10. And that was the level of choice you had, and if you, and after three years, you passed or you failed. But there was no, the everything I hear about the university system in the States sounds wonderful in comparison, but nevertheless, uh, pure computer science. I stayed on to do a PhD, uh, and I was lucky enough to have some supervisors who rounded me out a bit. Um, now, research interests are a nice thing to talk about. In a brief but broad career, I published on compiler theory, processor design, graph theory, AI, natural language generation, disability, cybersecurity, user interface, uh, technique, uh, and the ethics of assistive technology. Um, now, most of the audience will be thinking that's a random set of buzzwords, but the computer scientists will be even more confused because that is an unnecessarily broad um, thing. Since I left, I've added healthcare, creative writing, and psychology to that list. Um, but broadly, I was not in fact suited for academia as a researcher. I was better as I moved away from the the worship of intelligence. Um, it became more and more obvious that academia was not suited to me. 
And uh, while I would not necessarily change anything, it is interesting to look back at the person I was um, going through that. Um, it would have been nice to have been a sort of person who wanted to do something they loved rather than who just wanted to win. Mm. Yeah. So what was your inspiration behind your book, Advanced Memory Palaces? Um, so I, I read it um, a couple of months ago, and I found it to be a very helpful book. And actually, it's one of my favorites on the Memory Palace. Uh, I think that you're, you're adding and contributing something uh, to the field of mnemonics, which I, I find uh, to be very good. So, so what, what led you to write this book? What was your inspiration? I really had something to say, I think. Like, there were things missing from the mnemonic literature, and I'd been wanting to talk about that for a good decade. It was a good, good decade, and it was um, uh, the pandemic hit, and I had some time on my hands, uh, and that was the time to sit down and actually write it. Um, and that was exactly the motivation. There was stuff I just wanted to say. It wasn't, it wasn't written to make money, uh, which you can probably tell from the tone of the novel, because uh, it borders on abusive at times. Um, it was written to nail down ideas that I felt were necessary to be added to the board, to body of knowledge. Um, and to do so in a further, I like to think, even-handed um, way. Um, I, I do make clear in the book that um, it's the second book you should read on mnemonics on the basis that, and the, the very selfish reason of that is, I didn't really fancy writing two chapters at the start being like, mnemonics will change your life. Because uh, um, I'm not sure how much I believe that. And I didn't want to write them. Um, and it was more important for me to to set up a clear and concise and even framework and then present the ideas within a framework so that um, they could be read by um, people who spent some time in this and it can be added, added to the body of knowledge. So in your book, you stated, everything I learned about memory techniques fits naturally into my computer science framework. And I became fascinated by the parallels. What are some parallels between techniques used in computer science and mnemonics that most fascinate you? What were some of those things that you have discovered? So let me give, let me give a wider answer first. So both memory techniques and computer science are both at their core extremely focused on the shape of information. They're both driven by ways to effectively structure and use the information. Um, but once once you look at it more in more detail, it turns out it's really hard not to see parallels. Like that was that was the main takeaway. Even at the early very even the earliest experience, it's really hard to look at mnemonics without thinking, oh that's an array. No, that's a link list. And in particular why, why is that person using linked list from that when you're clearly, you need indexed, you need indexing for that, uh, for, for your, for your application. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of examples and a lot of just general stuff why I'm, I'm reading materials on mnemonics and really expecting the sort of conversation I expect in computer science where it would be said, ah, oh, in most cases, this is but this structure is much more effective in these other cases as we were over this sample size or as we, we work it out mathematically that this is going to break and this one won't. These things are going to clash. These things are going to collide. And there was none of that in mnemonics. There was no, there was no sense in the presentation of mnemonics at the time that there was anything really to distinguish various techniques apart from personal preference or even present some of them as advanced and some of them as basic when indeed 
uh, I don't really think that those words apply to all these things that are so different. Mm. So, um, so you think that one should look at the data and sort of use a technique that is most effective for that data and the way you think about that is coming from your background in in computer science if i'm understanding you correctly that you think sometimes we use structures that are not as fitting for certain types of information yeah that's exactly right and um, there's a tendency for if all you have is a hammer then everything looks like a nail and i feel like I want people to ask questions of the data first before they try and memorize something to say, how often will I need this? Do I need it completely urgently? Do I need it quickly or have I got a minute to work it out? Do I need it to be absolutely perfect or will I accept a certain level of degradation information? How much data there is, what shape it is, those are the questions I feel like people should ask first. And once they've asked those questions, it should be obvious what structure to use. So would, would you encourage those who study the art of memory to, to also study uh, data structures in uh, computer science? Or do you think, what, what would your, your advice be? Well, I mean... I, I hate to put it this way, but I think this should be my book. I think that's what it should be. <laughs> um, that's, the, uh, that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line there. That's, that's the purpose of writing a book. Um, I think people should do what they love. That's the bottom line. I think people should do what they love. Uh, and if they wanted to learn about computer science, that's cool. Um, I learned about cookery recently. Um, I did a science of cookery course, and it was fascinating and totally unlike anything I've ever been good at. And it was a really good reminder that being good at something isn't important. I think it depends on the use case. If we're talking about memory athletes, if we're talking about people going to um, the games and the tournaments and the competitions, uh, no, I don't. I don't think they, should, they they don't need to do anything because the competitions and the games are very focused on a particular techniques. They're very focused on can you do the method of Loki and can you do it very well and very quickly, and that is the nature of those competitions. I think getting people to think critically about the application is interesting. Um, but I don't necessarily think, because um, it turns out as well, computer science is kind of big. There's a lot going on, right? I mean, I can recommend, I can recommend some books for people who are interested in algorithms in general and the way of thinking about them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, I, yeah, I would love to hear book recommendations. Um, but as much of it is habit and habit and practice as anything else. Yeah, so... So you would recommend people to, to read your book to begin to understand more about uh, the structuring of data and if they wanted to uh, get deep into it, what, what other types of, I'm not too familiar with the computer science world, but uh, what category in computer science would you recommend uh, someone to dive into if they wanted to understand more about uh, structures? Uh, algorithms and data structures is the classic, um, which is a big old book. Um, massive, in fact. Um, but to be honest, starting with, starting with the very, very basic um, chapters in an introduction to computer science book, where you learn about trees, and you learn about lists, and you learn about hash tables, and you learn about all of the little names where you go, huh, that does take less time or fewer steps or that has more of a penalty for writing or changing. So something that is almost never encountered in the mnemonics world is um, alterable, alterable um, structures in any way, but also acknowledging that having a list that you have changed stuff in can be very damaging, can take a lot longer. But also conversations, here's what I'm trying to say. It's very hard in mnemonics to find people discussing how easy things are to add stuff to structures later. 
compared to at the start and the associated costs of that, um, particularly around the, the comparative effort in sorting or in searching or in ordering generally. Mm. Okay, so uh, data structures and algorithms and an introduction to computer science. Very good, very good. So I really, I really love the, the tone of your book. Um, it seemed like you really cared about your readers, like you're about the truth of things. Um, and you stated that this book attempts to place the method of loci in its proper place as a useful technique amongst many others, rather than the magic hammer that it has been portrayed as for the last decades. So why do you think the method of loci has been placed in such a high position? And in your opinion, what are some of the dangers you see when one gives exclusive importance to this techniques? And what can we miss by having this frame of mind? So first thing I'll say is the method is effective. There's no, no, no arguing with that. It is effective. And it's got a lovely story. I say lovely. It's, if you like hearing stories about earthquakes and people remembering who was sitting where. Really nice, really nice relatable story for all of those who've been dining in ancient Greece. So I can see why it's popular. And the other reason, of course, it's popular is because the memory competitions are designed around it. That is, they are, they are incredibly focused on it. Where it becomes obvious that maybe it's not the right thing is if you ask a normal person what a good test of memory looks like. And they will say things like, uh, watch a short film and be asked questions on it. Read a book and answer questions, also known as exam. Be taken blindfolded into a complex room and given 10 seconds to look at it before describing as much detail as possible. Be shown a picture and then draw it from memory. A spelling bee. Those are all what the member of public would describe as a test of memory. And it's weird in that context, looking at memory events and being like, recite a string of numbers in order as fast as possible. Recite a string of binary numbers in order as fast as possible. Recite this other string in order as fast as possible. Like these are, these are oddly different disciplines, right? And that's the problem. So that's why the method of Loki has been placed in such a high position is got popular for competitions. And the dangers are that it, people just think that's what memory should be, is reciting things. And it falls down. It falls down very rapidly. It falls down as soon as you try and add too much information. You say, oh, no, here's some additional information, which is what happens in life, right? You don't tend to get given all of the information at once. It falls down instantly. At that point, it falls down if you're trying to go to, say, the 20th. The 20th point in your system. Where is the 20th element? Well, hang on, I've just got to count to 19 in my head to get there. These are not useful things and to search to search is so hard if you have a piece of information and you know it is somewhere in there but you don't quite know where then you have to go through every element every element and more than that you can't structure information if you're trying to remember multiple things about a person then you end up putting their date of birth and then uh, what they look like and then their job and then the next thing is the date of birth and you're like oh hang on does that belong to the person after or the belong before and well like they it's just noise it's just noise and it it fascinates me how synonymous it is with memory techniques to the extent I think this may be in the book I, I ironically can't remember um, but when I was soliciting uh, feedback for my cover design uh, for the book um, I put it on uh, a Reddit subform, and someone commented that, "Oh, it should it should be more about uh, it should more show what a what a memory palace is and have like little labels around a house." And I'm like, that is that is fascinating that that is that is where we are. That is the 
the only thing that 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 people think memory is at this point. That there is one technique. One. One. There is no other discipline in the world where we say, oh yes, there's only one technique. So I'm literally just ranting now. There was presumably something constructed somewhere in that. Hmm. Yeah, I think we should uh think more about that. It's it's a lot of lot to ponder on. So you have an interesting section on skip lists. Can you explain to our listeners the meaning of skip lists, how it is used, and what are some of its benefits? And do you happen to have a, a concrete example that you can share with us so we can uh, have a better a better picture of how it is used? Uh, uh, yeah, I can do that. So um, a skip list... A skip list as impl is implemented in bulk programming is a very complicated data structure. Uh, and what I look at in the book is uh, a highly simplified form, which we barely, barely deserve a name, to be honest. Well, let's consider this uh, situation, which is um, US president. Right. Now, a US presidents are quite often referred to as the number, right? When wanting to know, uh, when I want to know which president was were, I generally want to know what number president they were, or what year they were in power, or like those are the things I want to know. Um, now, as it happens, the way I know the U.S. presidents is by a um, a book about remembering presidents, right? Because someone else had already written it and they had some nice visuals, and that was good enough for me. And that gives that structure as a list. So it's a list of the presidents. One to forty. I think it's actually longer, but I only bother because I, I know which ones were from my lifetime, right? So it's a linked list one to forty, and the problem with that is to get to number thirty-one, I have to—I literally have to start at Washington and go do 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 Ah, that's, that one's thirty-one, um, and this is not great. All right, that's not—it's not ideal. So what you can do in that circumstance is create a second list. And you create a second list, which is every 10th president, right? So you have a list which is, it goes Washington, Tyler, Garfield, uh, Coolidge, uh, Reagan. Reagan. Was, and what you do in that case, then it becomes fairly reasonable if you know you've got one for every 10th, because you start on the 10 list to get to 30, which is Coolidge. And then you walk back over. You're like, oh, okay, I know what Coolidge was. So what was after Coolidge in the main list? Right? Yeah, it's over. Um, so that's a list where you've got, that's a case where you've got one very long list and it's a pain to search. So you create a smaller list that is entirely separate and uses very different key images, right? You cannot use the same image for Tyler in one of the lists as you can in the other because then you'll you'll get a clash and then it'll break terribly so you create a separate list which has elements at random not random at regular intervals now the presence is a toy example you'd be doing this on much uh, longer ones um a classic would be if you were using a list to do with the um london underground right if you had one of the lines on london Underground, there about 30 sessions stations on them now, London Underground is a good time to use a list because normally you want to know you're at a station and you want to work downwards or upwards from it, right? Um, but you might also want a separate list which was um, the ones which had connections or indeed a separate list which was the ones which had disabled access, which is a, um, a contentious point in London Underground. Uh, in that case, those would not be regular. Those would not be regular elements out of the larger list, but there will be informational elements where you're like, okay, I'm on this one, but where's my next best place to get off at this one? Right? Yeah. And that ends up being quite subjective about who you are as a person. But yeah, a skip list is, is boils down to being a separate list you have that keeps track of a fair. There's quite a lot of hazards with them, like I've in the book, where you can get yourself into a little bit of trouble. Um, and it's important to make sure that you go to, from the, from the key image to the actual thing you're remembering and then back into the list 
You can't go from list to list. You have to go from list to reality to list. But that's the that's the basics of it. Um, the the more complicated computer science version involves multiple levels of lists on very very large data structures. Um, but if you're on if you've got a data structure that's so large you need multiple levels of skip list, then you you I take my hat off to you. No clue what to do at that point. The peg system, which is what I might think of as an array, is much better for using the presidents because if I if I have a peg system and I know where 31 is and I know where 31 links to, right, that makes it a lot easier to pull out random, in, not random indexes, whichever index you're looking for. Um, you can't do that with a linked list without going through them, but you can with the peg system. Now, the peg system is a lot harder to build a structure around. If I just need to remember 10 things, the linked list will be a lot faster than finding another peg system. Particularly when you have one peg system for winners of Best Actress Oscar, you have another peg system for GP in years of, um, of Turkey. Like peg systems, you keep having to build new ones. Mm. And they very quickly at that point end up being quite similar to the method of Loki approach. You you also talk about the importance of efficiency in recall, and and you've talked about this uh, briefly, but um, you talked about the importance of efficiency in recall and thoughtful organization of memory palace of memory palaces. In your opinion, what are some common mistakes people tend to make in structuring their memory palaces? And how could we avoid these mistakes? I think in general, people are too quick to try and memorize things and too slow to properly form a memory palace of the existing memorized things. So this it's worth doing the experiment. And I did this with the Terminator which is sit down with a film that you've seen before, but not seen that often, and write down when any character says a proper noun or a number. Not try and memorize it, just try and write it down. And, you know, I mean, you've got a pen, you've got a paper, you've got an interesting movie, you sit down and watch the movie with your partner or whatever, and you'll be astonished how hard that is to do, just to write down numbers and, and, and proper nouns, right? Partly because you get into the movie. You start watching the movie and you will also realize that if you're doing it well, you're then not into the movie, at which point, well, just watch the movie. Like it seems to be more fun to watch, watch the movie. And that's an interesting exercise to do before you try and do any memorization. And it's an interesting exercise I think more people in memorization should do because the idea that you can be memorizing stuff as it happens is laughable, right? It's, it's like when you're talking to someone who is thinking about what they're going to say next. Like, you lose all of the presence. You lose all of the actual enjoyment of the thing. And so, it's tricky now with practice, you can get better at it. But even if you get better at it, even, and bear in mind, this isn't trying to memorize stuff. This is just, just writing it down. Even if you are trying to, if you've got better at it, you still get this incredible disorganization of information. And you also have this incredible disorganization of the wrong information. Because the other problem, the other psychological problem that turns up is you will meet people who can, um, who can quote movies verbatim. Right. It might be Star Wars, might be Princess Bride, could be Black Hawk Down. There's a whole level of movies. But a lot of people who can quote the movie verbatim would not be able to answer questions like, tell me about this person's character. Like without referring to the job, tell me, tell me about this person's change through the, through the course of the narrative. And that's because they've concentrated on the wrong thing. If you're going, if you want to be memorizing things, you should know in advance, before you try and memorize anything, you should know what the information is. And that involves sitting down quietly after the fact 
and going, okay, now I've seen it. Now I know what the structure roughly is. What are the bits I'm interested in? What are those bits? Maybe I go back and I watch it again, looking for particularly those bits. And then when I've worked out the shape of those, I will try and memorize it. And personally, my, my own memory policy is littered with badly chosen examples. Littered with them. The, uh, the US presence is a, is a good example of I have a chain when I should not have a chain. And the more you ask questions of the data, the more you can look for exceptions. And this is a very computer science thing to do, which is you're like, okay, let's see if I use this structure, does this data all fit into it? Oh no, because of there's this weird example here. There's this odd, there's this oddity here. Can I make it work like this? Okay, maybe I can make it work like this. And so there is a big, there is a big problem solving exercise to do before you actually start committing things to memory. Now, if you're a method of Loki person, none of that matters. You just stuff everything in. I'll stuff everything in. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll just remember everything, but I will have to walk through an awful lot of stuff before I find out I didn't actually remember the things I was meant to be remembering. Mm. It is tricky. And you can do stuff. And there are tactics. I'm being a little, a little facetious. But if you're going to retain information properly, stop trying to memorize so early. Memorize later. Work out what you understand about the information. And then from what you understand about the information, then build your structure. Now, the other, to refer back to what I said earlier, I think people are too fast to memorize and too slow to put in a memory palace. Um, your memory palace does not have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be designed. It is literally just, maybe your memory palace is a method of Logi thing where you're like, ah, here is where I memorize um, the books of the Bible. Here is where I memorize um, Beatles albums. Here is where I memorize um, quotes from uh, a book I read. Here is where I do my medical training. Do, 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 do. Start doing that early. Start doing that really, really early because you'll be surprised what you forget you've remembered. And that is that is the weirdest thing where you suddenly realize you've got all this information. You just this has been lost for years. Mm. So, so what you're saying is that we need to take our time and consider the data before we actually go ahead and think about the structure. So let's, let's, uh, let's do an example here. So for example, if, if you had to memorize a book on history, I don't know, maybe the history of art, the history of philosophy, um, just a general book on history. Um, and let's say it had 10 chapters. What would your steps be in memorizing this book? How would you approach it? And, and I'm also interested in, in how you would uh, structure the information as well. And let's say in terms of the, the, the questions is that you want to be able to recall the content quickly, meaning if a person were to say, uh, what happened in this period? Who were the key figures? Um, and you wanted to have quick recall and you wanted to have it in your your long-term memory. Uh, you didn't want to memorize the book verbatim, but more so just the general uh, content. What would your approach be in that situation? So a couple of quick follow-up questions. Uh, there's some really good things there. Am I memorizing... The book or the events of the book? And distinguish, if I, for example, have already read a different book about the same period, I might be memorizing this book's approach and this book's unique features, or am I just trying to know about the period? Um, so I would say memorizing uh, the book and so all of its chapters, um, its general content, even if you've read other books on the, the same period, it's just this particular book. Okay, and presumably I want references at that point. I want to be able to say, as this person said on page 72. Yeah, and you want to be able to reference the page number, um, perhaps uh, even quotations as well. So quotations are hard. Let's separate quotations out, first of all. And the reason quotations are hard is because they're very hard to do a single key image for. Quotations, you tend to have to just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and then attach to a, a key image. But that's 
that's an approach. So we'll, we'll label those down as a key image for now. If you're starting with references, if, you're, if what you want is reference information, then you're gonna go through the book with a highlighter and you're gonna pick this. And that's probably, and you're going to look out what are the bits that I will want to reference. And that might be the numbers, and it might be particular dates. Personally, I tend to think in terms of years. So what I would probably do is I would go through the period of, um, I would go through the book, highlight every year that was mentioned, and see if they were a continual unit, right? Sort of, I really want them to be a continual unit, right? Let's say it's the history of maps, um, which is in its own right a fascinating topic, right? Um, if I saw map um, that Ben Franklin, a living map that Ben Franklin had done the data for this week. That was uh, that was really fascinating for me. Um, side note. Anyway, let's say I'm doing a book on maps. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at years. My first thing, because I want a continual set of years. If I've got a continual set of years from, let's say, 1715 to 1780, brilliant. I'm going to do a quick peg system off those years, and I will have an event for each year. Now, once I've got an event for the year, what I'll have is I'll have a link from my year to my key image of the event, and then a further link. This will be a little chain, so each peg system will have a chain off it. There'll be a further link to um, the page number, right? Page number in whatever major system you'd like to. Now, I've simplified the bit. Obviously, there's lots of years where many things happen. Now, depending on how many things happen, if there's, a, if there's say, just three things in any given year or three particular things I care about, I'd just leave them in a list. If there were more, uh, I'd have a little bit more complicated of a structure I'd use a, I'd use a class to, um, to compact more information in. So years would be the first thing. If years was enough, great. Those are just all the years from this book. If years are I'd be looking at what other things people might be interested in knowing, and they might be the amounts. Uh, say, this this map was sold by for, for this many people, or this um, for this many uh, pounds, or this map covered this many um, uh, this many acres, or this one was used by this, or indeed family trees of when these things started in technologies. That's a little harder, right? Because that is not continual data. As one of the things that's really hard with the PEG system is if you have years where nothing happened. Because you don't know if nothing happened or if you've forgotten it. And it's that little misstep um, where you're just not quite sure when it hits your confidence. It's not very nice. So non-continuous data depends how much of it. Always easy to throw it into a chain to just do and do the chain sorted by the, the amount. A million pounds is more than 40 acres. Right, 40 acres is more than 36 bales of cotton. Whatever the amount is, you, you might sort it out. It's fine. Do, 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 do. And the reason that's in a chain is just so you can review it. It gets tricky without a book, without a specific book, and it gets tricky without um, specific questions. But let's, let's imagine it's still a map book. Uh, a history of maps is, by nature, a set of objects, right? So at that point, after I've done the years, which is mapping journeys and what have you, what I'm actually remembering is famous maps. Famous maps get easy, because famous maps are have a very regular set of information. The year it was made, the person who made it, the, catog the cartographer, um, the area it's showing and why it was special. Like there's four pieces of information, I'd make a little class with those four pieces of information, and we, we a class itself is outside the scope. Can you uh, define for us a class? What do you what do you mean by class? So a class or structure is a way of representing a element that has distinct and set attributes. So I, if I'm remembering in this example, if I'm remembering a special map, I know there's a lot of maps, and I'll have the same four things about them. And what I can do with a class is I can make, is I can imprint them over the top of something else, which is familiar and has four things, and use that so that it's a lot easier for me to um, know which information meant with which 
So which year was attached to which map? Much simpler structure. And I will tell you, whenever I've been trying to run things, I'm spending a lot of time on Wikipedia. Because what happens is I start asking questions. Fascinating journey. You start talking to people and go, oh, so this map was this. And then you make the connections. And to be honest, the memorization ends up being only a small of the learning and the retention. The key point in this is what we're really saying is in order to memorize something well, you have to spend some time with the information and work out what the shape of the information is and evaluate what the interesting bits are, what the aren't interesting bits are, which bits you'll need close, which bits you aren't. And that is, that's just learning at that point. No point, you're just learning, right? You're working out the structure. And the more you work out the structure, the easier it is. Um, here's a really good example of that. Um, in the UK, number plates. UK number plate is uh, seven digits, right? And those digits, if you look at it, some of them are numbers, some of them are letters. Now, that sounds like a lot of complex complexity, doesn't it? It is not easy to put that in a mnemonic um, because sometimes you, you need to convert the number to something, but you don't want to clash with letter. It's, it's very complicated. So if you're just given a bunch of number plates to remember, that's hard. Except that when you look at number plates, they're not that hard. Because it turns out in the UK system, the first letter is just where it's from. Right? Cars registered in Scotland have an S at the front. Um, cars registered in uh, Essex have a G, and so on and so forth. Right? Uh, Preston is a P. And then the next couple of letters are just the year it was made. And then there's just three random ones at the end. So suddenly it's gone from seven random ones to three random ones and some stuff that you probably know by looking at the car. You know if it's this year's model. You know if it's 10 years ago. Like there's, there's extra information there. So the understanding the structure is, there's no substitute for understanding the structure. That's the bottom line, is sitting down and learning it. And then from the learning, then you can use your major system to work out the exact numbers. Then you can use your peg system to get the years in right. But you learn the information. And this is clearly so different to how mnemonics is treated in other places. Because a lot of the mnemonics literature and a lot of the mnemonics culture is about just burn this sequence of digits into your head. Doesn't matter what they mean. Here's a list, memorize it, recite it perfectly in 30 minutes, forget it forever. And we cannot, we cannot treat those as the same discipline. It is not going to be useful to treat memory championships like the call of long-term information. Not if you want to do it well. So um, you, you previously uh, mentioned this um, about encoding good memories. I wanted to touch this a little more. Um, so, so can you, you, you have a section about this in your book about good memories. Can you share with us about this section, how was it used and how has this practice benefited you personally? So I am a hilariously negative person, um, deeply cynical and it does all sorts of damage to my life. Uh, but I became really interested in the idea, full enough, it was from, I think a Hannibal Lecter story, which is not, not ideal, um, of storing individual memories of say foods or in a memory palace. And so I tried it one day. I wrote down 10 lovely memories of my life at that time. Uh, and I went to a local beautiful place. So I went to the chapel in my um, former university. Uh, my chapel in my university at the time. I didn't, it was a long time ago. And I stored, I, stored those, um, I stored those memories in that place. And what was fascinating is because for a number of years I turned away from memory techniques. Um, because I, I thought they reflected badly on me and I went on quite a journey. But the Good Things Memory Palace was the only thing I came back to on a regular basis. Well, I went back and I relived all of those wonderful memories and never failed to calm me, never failed to cheer me up, never failed to put me in a particular place of excitement and long-termism. And... I recommend some different things about a good things memory palace than I do normally. And one of which is I break several rules. Um, 
So I, I do think it should be a very beautiful place that you go to. And I think it's a really interesting thing to make it something local to you where you are at the time. Because when, because obviously, I would hope you generate more good memories as your life goes on. And so a couple of years later, I'm in a different place in my life. And um, I was living in a very different location, but I had some more memories. And so I went to another different, beautiful place in that area and put myself a fresh one. Uh, and it becomes really interesting to look back on the first and the second, the third. Because just the location and the choice of venue means so much to me. And then to work through and look at and to remember thank you cards or um, my, my daughter walking or um, the sound of applause, to remember those things is really really lovely to do so in the context of when you stored them and when they were important to you. Mm. Um, and the extension I want to do and have not is I, I need to balance the books, right? I would like to do a dark things memory palace. I would like to have, and this sounds very strange, but it has, it has, I would like to sit down and write down the 10 worst days of my life um, and go store them in an ugly place. And there are silly reasons and sensible reasons for that. One is I just like the symmetry. I like knowing it'd be interesting to know where they were. And it'd be interesting sometimes to be like, life is not going very well. Where does it rank on my top 10 worst days? Ah, it's not even in the top 10. This is a point like, there is, there is a level of, a level of motivation in that. Um, but it's also interesting to look at them and be like, do I have anything left to process at these times? All right. If I am overexcited, if I am feeling too invincible, maybe there is time I should remember of cautions, right? When I'm, when I'm trying to look at this plan and be like, what can go wrong? Let me think of, of what I'm preparing for. So that is, that is the ambition is to, is to have a suite of locations, some of which made me proud and happy, some of which cautioned me, some of which made me excited, some of which relaxed me. Mm. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, so after after reading that section, I actually um, experimented with creating a, a good uh, memories palace. And I, I found it to, oh, be, to be very helpful. Um, and it's actually a memory palace for this podcast. And uh, I don't I don't know if everyone knows, but podcasting is, is very hard. Uh, you have to do a lot of uh, research coming up with the questions you have to edit uh, day after day. It can be, and also uh, you may not even receive a lot of feedback or um, things like that. And then sometimes ask, well, should I, should I keep on going? Can I do this? But then uh, I would get an encouraging word from someone that they would send me a message on Instagram or they would write a, a comment on YouTube or send something on Twitter, or they would tell me something in person. And then I had that, I put all of those moments in a memory palace. So whenever I feel discouraged about mm -hmm. uh, give, giving up on, on this uh, project, it, it almost has this, uh, this overwhelming effect as if you're, you're walking through it and you're just being showered by encouragement and then once you exit you could say yes uh you know I, I can i can keep on going so yeah i really i really love this uh this idea of of a good uh memories palace so if you haven't uh for those listening if you haven't tried it before i really encourage you all to to try it i love that in i love that in three ways at first because i was like oh someone someone got something out of my book Awesome. Not really expecting that. I'll work with it. Um, and the other one is, it's really interesting to think of it in terms of a project-specific good things memory palace, um, because that's not a thing. That's not a thing I particularly do, but it's a really interesting idea. And the third thing is, what I really like about it is, it means should you should you should you give up this project at some point if other things sort of things take you away. If you think back to this project, the, the longest lasting thing, if you think back to this project, the longest lasting thing will be 
those beautiful memories and not in fact how long it takes to edit out people who cough in the middle of talking to you that's just like it's been hours remember i've i've done six episodes of a podcast myself and the main thing i remember is the editing yeah 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 i i really i really appreciated that that section it um i think i think that's i think that's good um uh, memory palaces for storing good memories and for for encouraging ourselves um yeah i i love it so uh where can we find you on social media and if our listeners wanted to get your book uh where should they go uh so the book is on amazon um it is entirely a hard version you order at this point because um i've been unable to get the ebook version to look as i am satisfied with it um hopefully it will be uh, sooner or later but for now it's just a hardback i am joe reddington on everything um but each channel has a very different viewpoint um i make comics on, on instagram um i have stopped using twitter uh but all of my actual thoughts and questions and things are all viewable on facebook um, i'm quite a public person on that respect um and there is a website there is a website where but long form um, things which is joereddington.github.io um, and I am generally interested in in feedback because that's the best way of making things um, better I wrote the book very aggressively and uh, it's been really nice getting good feedback off the back of that because I really was expecting um, much more negativity so I'm really pleased that it's reached people excellent so um, I'll be sure to link those and yes, I really encourage you all to get the book. Um, I've read many books on the art of memory, many books on the memory palace. And I would say that uh, this book is definitely one of my favorites. It really uh, contributes to the field and it, uh, it makes you think a lot about structure, how to structure, what are the most efficient structures. Um, so yeah. Go get the go get the book and uh, follow him on social media so is there anything else that you wanted to share any any final words to our audience anything that that you wanted to to mention before we close in general thank you for reading the book um, and for everybody who has written nice things uh, or has pointed me in the direction of your podcast it's been um, it's been a really fun adventure yeah anytime well, it's, it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you and uh, talking about uh, mnemonics in your, in your book and learning more about you. So uh, thanks again and hope you have a good rest of your day. No problem. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. All right. See you later.